I just ask for you. Um, it may not always come out right. It may squeak, however it may be. i just giving you forewarning. Um, but before we begin, I do want to open up with prayer, as it is my custom, to move into that atmosphere of not only worship, but to move into the mindset of the Spirit. God, we just thank you for your presence here in this place. God, I just thank you for what you've already done, God, that we can lift you up, God. Let our hearts not leave in worship. God, let us not stray from you to move on to other things in our minds, to start thinking about the things of, the, of today. But God, let us remain focused and fixated on you, that singular focus. Let us have that this morning. God, I just pray that you'd anoint my lips. God, I believe that you'd give me a word for these people for this time and this season. God, that you would anoint me. God, that you've already anointed your word. And God, I just thank you that you're moving me into that area. God, we just thank you that your word will be effective this morning. God, anoint our ears that we would hear the word, but not only that, that we would take it in and grow thereby. God, for you have placed these people in this body for this season and this time to grow. And God, I know that your word is a constant nurturing and a reinforcement of what you are having in to do in their lives. And God, we just thank you for what you're getting ready to do here this morning. God, I thank you for your praise and your anointing. God, I thank you for your Holy Ghost. God, that is moving in this house this morning. God, preparing the ground. Lord, let me not stray from the word. Let me not stray from your spirit. God, keep me in your will this morning in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name. Amen. I'm thankful that we have the anointing and the covering of God with us. As I was telling Chris on our way here this morning, the Lord just placed in my spirit something simple. There's a song that I really like. It's called Cover Me. And one of the key things that Jesus told his disciples that when you enter into a house, let your peace enter into that house. And that if it's received, it will be well with you. And that if it's not received, let your peace return from you. Sometimes when God calls you into new places and new territories, you wonder if the giftings will follow you. But if the peace of God is with you, the anointing of God will go with you also because you cannot have the peace of God without the anointing of God. The anointing of God is what breaks every yoke and every stronghold. Well, if you have the peace of God, every yoke and every stronghold has already been broken. Those things have already been moved out of the way when the peace of God comes in. And not only that, the giftings and callings of God can flow and function because the anointing and the covering of God has went with you. That's why the disciples were not able to perform effective miracles when the peace of God was not with them. When they entered into territories that they were not well received. How many has ever been in those territories? I know I have. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew in chapter number 16 and verse number 18. It's a very familiar section of scripture and it's really an introduction for, for me. I... I really feel in my spirit that this is a word for today in this season. Uh, if there was to be a title of the message, it would be the spirit or lowercase s of Saul, the spirit of Saul. Now, this is the New Testament Saul, not the Old Testament Saul. So I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, let's stand all over the building for the reading of God's word because it is our custom here in this place. And I do want to honor God's word because it is anointed. He sent his messengers and gave us the word as it, it is our privilege to do that. Do you all have it? I, just, I didn't know if it was going to be up there or not. If not, that's okay. Um, in Matthew.
Matthew chapter number 16 and verse 18, it says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You may be seated. Very common scripture, but I just wanted to give us an introduction because in the age that we live in, it's a cultural divide. In the age that we live in, it's a cultural divide. In the Bible, the personhood of Saul is portrayed as the voice against the church. That the person of Saul is portrayed as the voice against the church. This type or spirit is still alive today. The person has changed for Saul became Paul and transformed the gospel, yet the spiritual influence still remains. Even though Saul may have been converted into Paul, the things and the ways that Saul operated are still alive today. Those things that would try to come against the church, this church is still being sought after and persecuted in the same manner as it was in the New Testament in Acts and uh, in the book of Acts. But a reason I, ha I brought out Matthew in chapter number 16 and verse 18, that just reminds you of what Jesus said about the church, because who is the church here this morning? It's us. It's not this building. It is us. And it says, and I also say to you, raise your hand if you're a you. <laughs> Jesus was speaking to you when he said, and I also say to you that on this rock, the solid rock, the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone of Christ talking about himself and upon the rock of Christ, I will build my church. So he's building you up upon himself. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against this. It's just a reminder that no matter the season of affliction, no matter the season of persecution, the gates of hell shall not prevail. There are gates for a reason as a method of separation between the church and the world, between the enemy and the kingdom of God. There's a separation, and those gates will not fail. They will not uh, bust open. It gives us an opportunity to be protected in spite of the attack. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like at times that attack is perpetual. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I know at times that I need to be reminded that the enemy will perpetually attack, but yet the gates of hell shall not prevail. The things that were sent to destroy you will not be effective against you. They will not stop you. When you are planted on the rock of Christ, you are unstoppable in him because his word is not returned void. His kingdom purpose will always go forward. It will not matter the, matter the level of persecution. It will not matter the level of sacrifice. It will not matter the things that happen in your life. The kingdom of God will move forward. Many would say that we've all gone off the deep end in this world today. The culture that we live in today is very divided. But I'm here to tell you that the Lord still reigns and is above every situation and thing that would come against it. Because at times the different methods of attack are different. But we need to be reminded that no matter what that thing is, the Lord still reigns and is above those situations. The Lord is still in control. He still has his spirit that is able to overcome, that is able to deliver, that is able to save, that is able to break people out of bondage, that is able to move them forward for his purpose. 
the Lord has given us victory over any over everything. Because when he makes the statement, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail, there is no runner up. There is only victory. There is no other option. There is only victory. There is only going forward in the kingdom of God. No matter what the situation may look like, there is victory on the horizon. No matter the level of attack, there is victory on the horizon. It is coming your way. No matter what may come against you, those things will not prevail. Because we are on the solid rock of Christ. I'm thankful for that this morning. Jesus has already spoken into the attack that would try to tear us down to remind us that he is the rock that fails not. Amen. So moving into the message, I just wanted to give an introduction. So I've asked myself at times in the culture that we live in, Lord, how do we witness to a people that is so zealous against Christ? How do we witness to a people that is so against Christ? And I want to bring out a story. So if you have your Bibles, what our main text will be out of Acts in chapter number seven in the in latter part. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we'll be taking our main text. But the title was A Spirit of Saul or The Type of Saul. Saul operated in a manner as we see today. Saul operated in a manner perpetually attacking the church, bringing about things against the church to try to not only tear it down, but to put the people that was in the church in bondage. We see that today. That there are people groups that are not only against the church, it's not enough to be against the church, but they want to tear down what God has built up. They want to destroy the people and the men and women of God and put them in bondage, to put them in prison so that the church would not be effective. We see that in today's society. That is the spirit of Saul. We'll get into that. So if you have your Bibles in Acts in, number, in chapter number 7, and starting in verse 55, I wanted to give an introduction. The main part of our text is talking about, or at least in my Bible, when Stephen, the apostle, was martyred or was killed. After he spoke the word of God unto the people that didn't want to listen to what he had said. Much like in today's society, they don't want to hear what the things of God say about them. They don't want to hear about what God has spoken over them. They don't want to hear about those areas. So in verse 50, or actually I'll start in verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. In verse 55, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into the heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God in verse 56 and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. In verse 57, then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. In verse 59, 
And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In verse 60, then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Note, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The thing I want to bring out concerning Saul is, is that Saul was the witness to the stoning of Stephen. We don't often think about Paul, the writer of the New Testament, being the one, a witness of a stoning of one of the disciples. We think of Paul as one that wrote most of the New Testament, as one that was full of the Holy Ghost. But yet, here we see Saul before the transformation into Paul. And it says, And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Jumping forward to chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death, meaning Stephen. And if you look out and study when it says consenting, that he was glad. Never have I seen a time when people are so excited to put down the things of God. They do it with a, a zeal that I have never seen. Much in the same time that we see here in the word of God, Saul was excited to put down the things that God was doing through the disciples. We see that in today's society where people are excited to not only tear down Christians, but to try to, to take them into taking them out. We see the churches perpetually attacked. How do we witness to a people like this? That's my question. I know maybe I'm the only one, but that's my question at times. In the workplace, there are people that would fit this category. That In my own department, they want nothing to do with the things of God because of their nature and who they are. That's okay. God can change natures. This has Saul. Moving forward into, eight th into Acts 8.3, it says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. At times, I thought to myself that, well, maybe it won't happen to us. I do believe that the spirit that drives Saul and drives the ones today leaves no bystanders. If you are in the kingdom of God, it will come to your house and it will come to a point of wreaking havoc. And why am I saying all of this? What am I trying to get out? I do believe that I, the Lord gave me an answer of how to witness. In chapter nine and verse one of Acts, it says, then Saul still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I want to give you a few attributes of this type. That it pleased Saul to persecute the church. I have three points. Don't worry, it's not a pointless message. Uh, I have three points. It pleased Saul to persecute the church. There is a group of people that are glad to persecute the church. We see that in today's society. And two, the ideology that Saul was born out of was something good and then twisted into something that resembled 
godliness, but was anti-Christ. Never have I seen a time where they have taken the th fundamental things of God and have twisted them to meet their own ideology. And then on top of that, have taken and legalized it. This is the spirit of Saul. Saul used the law of Moses to try to strip the authority away from the disciples. He tried to say, you have no right to preach the name of Jesus. I know it's a lot this morning. But this ideology, they were born, the scribes and the Pharisees were a people born unto God. But yet at some point were twisted away from God. And so that they thought they were secure in where they were. They were born out of good, but then twisted into something that was anti-Christ. Granted, God had a purpose for that. The scribes, and the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees would use the law to disqualify Christians. How many times have you tried to talk to people and say, well, the word doesn't really say this. I know I have in my own workplace, or they want to try to rationalize what's not in the word with their own experiences. Well, I don't really have to give up this area. The word doesn't say I don't have to do it. So that means I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to justify what I have because I'm twisting what the word says in order to meet my own ideology, in order to meet my own perspective of what the word says. But in reality, they have no fellowship with God. They have no accountability with God. They have no desire, no love for God. As the scribes and the Pharisees had no love for God, but only a ritual in an area in which they only went to a certain point in what the law said, it caused them to strip away and to place extra things on the gospel that are not there. And furthermore, it causes them to act in a certain way and but yet Jesus had a plan I promise I am getting there there's a little bit I wanted to bring out but Jesus had a plan because everybody knows that Saul became Paul Saul became Paul and so it is that time when Saul became Paul that is important. Because if we want to witness to the world today, we need to recognize how Saul became a Paul. The disciples did not change what they were doing. They did not conform to the persecution and change their ways so that they would not be persecuted. We don't see that from Scripture. They did not... Um, do anything differently. They were full of the Holy Ghost and they went about spreading good news. They went about doing good things, empowered by the Spirit of God. So I would say to you today that there's not anything as far as a church that we need to do that to address those areas that would try to have persecute and attack because Saul wasn't converted by the disciples. We need to remind ourselves that it's not us. 
It's not us that's going to convert the saws into a pause. It's the Holy Spirit that come upon Saul and allowed him to see the glory of God and see Jesus Christ in his entirety that caused him to be the Paul that we know today. When we look at the ones that are around us and wonder, Lord, how are we going to witness unto ones that hate you so much and zealously seek out your church? It is the Holy Ghost that comes upon them being that Damascus Road experience causing them to move into that area of seeing God correctly, God in his entirety, without compromise, without any sort of legalization of the word and what God would say. It's the true, genuine heart condition that caused Saul to become Paul. Even Jesus said, why do you kick so hard against what I've been trying to do in you? Amen. Amen. This is the place that we need to look to. It is the Holy Ghost in our services that will cause saws to become paws. We wonder when the liberals will come in. When they see a vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus, they will be transformed into Paul. Stop trying to witness to ones that are God's only. Don't mistake me. I'm not saying that you don't... Don't stop what you're doing, but you're not the reason that they're coming in. It is Jesus drawing them in that causes them to transform. It's Jesus on their lives that causes them to change from what they were into what they will become. Paul or Saul at the time, even to the point they lost, he lost his vision and had to be led around to Damascus. That should tell us something of the nature of what the transformation of the generation around us will look like. They will lose vision. They will have to be led unto the things of God. We need to recognize when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and opens their eyes and blinds them to the things around them, the things of the world where they only have vision for what God has, we need to recognize that and be ready to say, come this way. That's where God is taking this generation. I do believe that. There's been prophetic messages that have said that the manifestation of God will be greater in this year than any other time. The reason why the manifestation of God needs to be greater is in order to touch the saws of the church, in order to touch the saws of the world. They need to come into the presence of the Lord in a capacity to have the presence manifested in a way that they become blinded to the world and their surroundings and their comfort zone and their friends and everything else to where they have to be led by the Spirit of God into that place of deliverance to receive new sight, to receive new things, to receive a new identity because Saul could no longer identify with who he was. He could only identify with what God had placed within him during that place of blindness. Good God, thank you. Who is the one that is in the church? I've said the spirit of Saul, but let's put credit where it's due. It's not the spirit of Saul, it's Satan. Not that I'm giving Satan any credit, I'm not. I'm putting him in his place. Why was Saul so 
relentless against the church. Because when you have a spiritual attack from Satan, you are relentless in that attack. You want to destroy the church. You want to destroy what God has built up, but yet God blessed it so you can't destroy it. So you try all the harder. You hate God to the point that you're going to do everything that it takes. But it just reminds me that Satan goes around seeking whom he may devour like a roaring lion. But yet when God has transformed you, you are no longer available. You are checked out. When you are God's, you're not available for attack. You can pull a different number. This one's taken. It's been God's the whole time. Saul in verse in Acts 8 and 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women committed to them in prison. The spiritual attack that we see today in the generation is within the households. There's even households within this church. They they try to wreak havoc in the households of the body of Christ. We have young men and young women that are no longer concerned with marriage. We have We have areas of legalizing what God abhors. In First Peter in chapter nine, First Peter in verse nine, First Peter in chapter five and verse nine, it says, "Resist him, steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world." Guess what? You're not alone in this attack. You're not alone in this havoc wreaking, but yet at the same time that you're not alone in suffering, you're also not alone in overcoming because your brothers and sisters in Christ, though they may suffer, they can help build you up. Though they may be in affliction, they can help pray for you. Though they may be in that area that they're wondering when God's going to show up, you can be that encouragement to say the time is nigh that God is drawing close in your situation. Because I know it for my own, ex- I can tell you for my own self that I've wondered, God, when are you going to bring this situation about? When am I going to have to stop suffering over this thing? And the Lord said, soon. But yet it was my brothers and sisters in Christ that encouraged me to remain steadfast. Stephen. The apostles that heard about Stephen, I'm sure, were affected by what happened. Don't let the enemy persuade you that it is in vain. For God has a saw watching. The things that you go through, don't let those things detour you because there is a Saul watching to become a Paul. I don't believe that it was, it was without consequence that Saul watched, Saul watched Stephen become stoned. It was not unintentional that Stephen had to go through that affliction so that Saul would come into that area of becoming Paul. Don't lose faith in those seasons of affliction because that affliction 
is at times what causes other ones to seek God. Stephen, even in death, knew this point. He knew it because he was concerned about the souls that were gathered there. Stephen was so convinced that God was able to transform hearts and lives that he asked that God would forgive them of these sins so that they might become Christians. <laughs> Lord, let me have that attitude. Let me have that heart. When I'm so concerned about those that would come into the body of Christ that I don't worry about what they may be doing to me in this season. For the one who is witnessing the sufferings of the church, God's preparing for a divine encounter. Your suffering in the season, God is preparing a harvest from this current season of pain. Because when we gather together as a body, when we see individuals and how God has delivered them through this season and that season, how God has delivered them through this situation and that situation, we see the harvest that comes out of that. We see the harvest that comes out of what God has done through them, how the transformation. People believe when God has saved you and delivered you from something, they say, wow, can God really do that? Yes, he can. Caleb is a perfect example. He is an example of how your seasons of suffering can yield a harvest of people. Ask Krista about that after service. Because at times we are the instruments that God uses to, to draw others through suffering. It ain't always pretty. It ain't always lovely. But yet God does it. Saul was perpetually, when we have loved ones that we are praying for and we are seeking for that fall in this category, it causes us to wonder <clears throat> how much longer, how much longer is it going to be till they're saved? And I know I've already said it in Acts 9 and 4, it says, And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goes. Be reminded that those that are fighting you tooth and nail are the ones that are just on the moment of deliverance. It's the ones that are just perpetually going after this thing and that thing and can't seem to get free, get free and just keep perpetually going after those things. Those are the ones that God's dealing the hardest with it. Because I can tell you when God started to deal with me about coming back into the things of God, I was like, nope, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go another way. Every time God would try to present an opportunity to come into him, I would go the other direction. I understand what that feels like to run from God. And even more so after I got saved, I still ran from God because I got hurt. And I said, I don't want any more of this. I'm done. 
And so I spent a year outside. But just as the thing that drawn me back into church and back into the things of God will transform them, their lives. Because at some point I said to myself, I cannot deny the presence of the Lord that delivers. I cannot deny when God touched and moved through me, it was something I have never experienced before. It was something undeniable. It was something tangible. It was something that I could not refute with my own eyes, with my own understanding. When the hand of God comes upon you supernaturally, it transforms your understanding of who God is and how the church is to function. It's what kept me in the ministry. It's what kept me in the things of God because I remember distinctly saying to Krista, when I was laid out in the spirit and been a chair, that was God. (laughs) There was no denying it. There was no second guessing. I have full memory of what that was and I know it was God. And as the same way that the Spirit of God had drawn me, God will draw those that are making a mess right now. He will draw those that are perpetually going against the things of God. Because the thing about it is the Saul was not one that wasn't raised in the, in, to know God. Saul was highly educated. He was one of multiple different creeds, if you will. He wasn't someone that I would just consider backwards. He was very educated, very intelligent, very articulate, raised in an atmosphere of knowing the law and the letter of God to a point that he was zealous or had a higher uh, uh, earnest desire than anyone else. So the ones that you raise up in your own homes and are still not ready yet to serve God, don't give up. Because those are the ones that have the hardest time saying yes to the Lord. But at the same time, the thing that I want to say is, is that let us perpetually seek after the Lord in our own households to prepare that ground for the Damascus Road. If you need to label a room in your house, Damascus Road, and have dinner there on special occasions, let the Lord lead you. I'm not being funny. God taught me about preparing rooms for special places. God has shown me how at times you need to take by faith what God has given you Earnestly, If God has told you to build a memorial in your living room about different ones and write different things of what God has done it, you better do it because there's a deliverance and a ministry that comes out of that obedience. If God has told you to prepare a certain place, I don't know, for an apostle in an upper room, you better do it because of the things that will come out of that obedience that God has placed in your life. Don't neglect or put off what God has given you supernaturally because it's those things that God gives you when you think, well, that that can't be you. It's often him. I can tell you that for myself. I couldn't tell you how long I waited to prepare a nursery. Because we all come into those places of saying, well, are you sure? Maybe I'm the only one. He's making his own chorus. 
is calling this saw generation for a specific purpose. Because we wonder, it's going to take one to reach a nation. Saul or Paul was called to a certain people. The apostles were not called to the same groups. They were all called to different groups. Paul was called to the Gentiles. Peter was called to the Jews. And so we need to remind ourselves that the ministry that will come out of the transformation that happens to the Saul will affect the rest. That we need to focus on building that area that God has given us, but yet at the same time, it's the Saul's that will convert those other areas. But at the same time, in our media today, they want to capture our attentions. They want to capture our understanding and bring a permissiveness to what they're trying to do. I'm here to tell you, don't buy it. Watch what, you know, watch what you're watching on TV. Watch what you're reading. Watch what you're listening to. All of those areas are a message that are designed to pull you away from God and make you compromise. Never have I seen a time that even Christian media is pulling you away for compromise, that we need to recognize what God is doing. So I asked you, what is it going to take? It's going to take a Holy Ghost transformation from Saul to become a Paul. But yet at the same time, I encourage you that there's something that's going to take place, that when you are the one that God says, I want you to take Saul. In Acts 9 and 13, it says, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. When the Lord knocks on your door, I need you to go pray for Saul. Because at times when, when God brings these Saul's into our midst, we need to be ready and willing to accept the Lord's unction and the Lord's calling of what he's asking us to do, because here's the thing, and Ananias knew Saul. He knew what he had done, who he was, his nature, what his past was. There are going to be ones that are coming in that God transforms that you know their past, you know what they were into, you know how far they had gone, but yet at the same time you question and God says, I still need you to do it. It may be, oh man, it may be, homosexuals, it may be transvestites, it may be whatever, that you know their nature because you knew them before and you know their reputation, but yet God says, I've transformed them, this is my vessel, you need to fall in line. Let us have the spirit to say yes in the midst of knowing the situation because it's, it's all fine and dandy to pray for somebody that you don't know their nature. You don't know anything about them. They may be into drugs, they may be an alcoholic, they may be a liar, they may be full of pornography, they it may be a secret cross-dresser, whatever it may be. If you don't know, you're going to pray just fine. But if you know them, let the Lord give you the conviction to say, this is what we are to do. 
because it's something to pray and not know, but it's something completely else to know full and well and still be obedient to what God has called you to do in spite of the consequence, in spite of the fact that they may be just playing and you're not sure because God didn't give Ananias a confirmation that says he's cool. Are you ready to be this intense? Because in reality, Paul's journey was intense. His transformation was intense. His being led into Damascus was intense. His meeting with Ananias was intense. And his ministry was intense. If God has truly called us to bring about this generation, it is going to be intense. It is going to be day and night. Saul, then becoming Paul, was rejected by the apostles. They didn't believe him. Are we going to believe him? Are we going to be led by the Spirit like Barnabas and say, come on, son, we have work to do. Let's walk together. This isn't a six-week therapy class. This is a day and night journey year after year after year. Paul and Barnabas were together for three years. That mentoring time allowed him to fill in the indoctrination that was placed within him, to took what was placed in him for harm and for evil and transform it into the catalyst that brings out a generation that was not reachable before. It's a day and night sacrifice. It's that intensity that God is bringing about with a saw transformation that we need to be ready. Are we, are we raising up Barnabases and say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I believe him. Because even if in the middle of the journey we need to pray through some things and we need to reconvert and recommit to Christ, because I'm sure that there were those nights with Saul, then becoming Paul, that Barnabas says, son, we're going to have to have a talk because this isn't the way that we conduct ourselves when we operate with Jesus. Because we're all human. We've all had those areas in our lives that we need to have a little talk with Jesus and remind ourselves of our first faith, our first conversion, our first area that God has given us, that we need to remind ourselves that this is the way that we operate. And he walked in that every day. It was a perpetual reminder of the commitment that not only Barnabas had to Paul, but of the love of Christ unto us, that he is willing to walk with us day and night, no matter the season, no matter the hour, no matter what, uh, what thing it may be, whether it's eating, whether it's washing, whether it's ministering, whether it's talking to people, all of these areas have to line up with the word of God in order to be effective. Paul, in everything that he did, he wanted to be effective with Christ. And at some point he said, follow my example. Had Paul not mentored him and Paul not fellowshiped with him for that season, he had not been able to write those words because he had no instruction. Thank you, Lord. That's preaching to me, if nothing else. Amen. In closing, <laughs> are we ready for the intensity of God? I'll be, God's intense. He ain't no lackluster. He ain't no lackadaisy. When he says now, he doesn't mean now, a few minutes from now, now three weeks from now, now three late uh, years from now. It is now. 
And when God spoke the worlds into existence and he said, now it happened. God is very intentional. God is intentional in whom he seeks after all, but he knows those that will say yes. Because he, he knows all time. I mean, when, you know, when you're God and you know all time, you have that luxury. So my question is, is I ask you, how do we witness to this generation that is against Christ? We witness through sacrifice. We witness through obedience. We witness through a willingness to go above and beyond and be people-oriented. It's not about us. It's not about the building. It's about people. It's about being willing to get in the midst of the muck and pull them through and they don't want to. And at times, I'm sure that they pull each other through. I just encourage you that God is getting ready to do something different. God wouldn't give us a message like this if he wasn't. This is a question that's been on my mind for months. How do we go against this agenda that is trying to cripple the church? We do it by being empowered by the word of God and the Holy Spirit so that they have an encounter with God that they cannot refute, giving them not only new vision, but giving them a dependency on God that he will pull them through because it has to change the vision. For my people perish without lack of vision. My people perish without vision. God's getting ready to do something awesome. I just feel it in my spirit. I don't know what it's gonna look like. I don't know what it's gonna sound like. We don't read any other time that Jesus talks specifically to anybody else but Saul in that manner. That means he's gonna do something new for them. And we need to be ready to say, Lord, that was you. This is what you're doing. This is where we're going. And this is how we're gonna get there. Because in reality, those three things, four things, if they hadn't lined up, Saul would not become a Paul. If there was no Barnabas, there would be no Paul. If there was no Ananias, there would be no Paul. If there wasn't Jesus that had a, oh man, if there wasn't Jesus that met him on the road to Damascus, we would not have a Paul. We would probably have a destroyed church. I'm thankful that God has given us the victory. So going back to the beginning, it says, and I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Be reminded that God is with you and that you stand upon the rock that changes not. You stand upon the chief cornerstone that you were the one and empowered by God in those times and seasons when, you can, you know, when you're saying, I can't deal with this saw anymore. That you are the one that is able to prevail because you are upon the rock of Christ and the gates of hell shall not prevail. That you are the one that is a called and anointed for this very purpose, for this very people. That God placed this person in your life for this specific reason for this specific time. Larry, God has called you into that ministry that you're in for that season and that time. Walk in it, walk in the victory, walk in the anointing that God has given you to labor for those that would be saved to Oh, to be that mentor in those times and seasons that they need to see the witness 
of a Barnabas. That is your ministry, man. I'm telling you. Which is fitting to be in this church. This is the Barnabas church. If y'all haven't figured it out yet, I'm telling you, it is a Barnabas church. It's what identifies with me more than anything else. I know it does with pastor that we are a kingdom-minded church and that God is going to attract kingdom-minded people. Well, I don't want to preach anymore, so let's stand all over the building.